the freedom that Christ brings for us is the freedom from being enslaved to do what is contrary to our nature, what is contrary to the image of God in us, and what is contrary to our true joy and happiness. Paul's point is, live your life in such a way that shows the world how you value the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scriptures speak speak of this to us all the time. How much are you willing to give for it? Doesn't Jesus say, he tells the parable about the, the, the treasure in the field, and the man finds the treasure and he goes and sells everything he's got. Because that treasure is so valuable to him. Or uh, what joy or pleasure do we feel when it's possessed? This whole letter is about the joy of the gospel in Paul's heart. Or in that same parable, the joy of the treasure that the man found. Because that's teaching us of our salvation. The sadness or despair that's felt when it's, when it's lost or threatened to be lost. That one's hard to apply. Because the gospel can't be lost. What are we willing to risk in order to have it or keep it? Paul saying to the Philippians, you will show the world the value of the gospel by being willing to risk everything for it. How much are your thoughts dominated by it? The pleasure that we feel when we possess it, on and on we see. These are ways to help us think through how we value the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because how we value the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us to what extent to live is Christ is true for us. Value the gospel little and to live is not Christ. Value the gospel supremely and to live is Christ. We live in a world that has its values all mixed up, don't we? Tony Campolo says this, he says it's like, it's like we've got all our price tags switched around. So imagine going in a store and all the, all the price tags are switched. Think about like Best Buy. You can go in Best Buy and Best Buy has things all over the place from $399 to $3,999. So imagine going in there and price tags are switched. A, a $3.99 cell phone case, the price tag for that has now been put on the, the most high-end expensive refrigerator that they have in the whole place. And that's like the world that we live in. Someone said that we know the price of everything but the value of nothing. So we live in this context in which the true value of things is hard to see. Our world likes to value trinkets highly while devaluing that which is really important. Paul's words to the Philippians, he's saying to them, you will demonstrate the worth of Jesus Christ by valuing Him in your culture. That can only be even more clearly seen in our culture today. By valuing, by, by valuing the gospel of Jesus Christ highly, we show a culture around us the worth of our Messiah. We are, in other words, living for Christ. It's like an apple pie contest. Think about going to the state fair, or maybe you have apple pie contests around here. 
Think about an apple pie contest. And what happens is you've got this table with all these apple pies that these people have baked. And you've got these judges that are going and test, testing the, each apple pie. And then they declare one to be the winner. Now, what do they do for the winner? They take a blue ribbon. And where do they put the ribbon? On the pie. And does anybody in the whole place look at that pie with the blue ribbon on the edge of the plate and say, that pie just did a wonderful job making itself? Everyone knows the blue ribbon is not celebrating the pie. It's celebrating the maker of the pie. The blue ribbon doesn't say, what a wonderful pie, as though the pie is the end unto itself. It's saying the creator of this pie deserves the blue ribbon. And by Paul's way of thinking, he's saying the same thing. As you live in ways that show the world around you that you value the gospel, you're not putting putting a blue ribbon on yourself. The world will see you. And they won't say what a good person he or she is. They may say that, but as they get to know you, they will understand if to live is Christ for you, they will understand it's not what a good person this person is because they value something else above all things. It's like a blue ribbon placed on you that's pointing the light right back to God. That is what Paul is saying when he says, live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about, think about this. I'm going to call this the spider web principle. And I guarantee that's the first time you've ever heard that, right? The spider web principle. So think about a spider web. Who has ever walked, walked along somewhere and walked into a spider web? Everybody? So you know what that's like to be walking along and then boom, there's a spider web. What happens when you walk into a spider web? Yeah. You, you start doing all this crazy, start trying to get it out of your hair, you know, off your clothes and everything, right? You're doing all this stuff to get the, the, the spider web off. What if someone was 20 feet away and saw you and they couldn't see the spider web? Now, we're, we're smart enough to know, okay, that person just walked into a spider web. But assume that you don't know anything about spider webs. And you see someone walk into a spider web. And they start, you know, just out of the blue, just doing this. You would think, what a strange person. What, are they having a seizure? Do I need to call 911? What, what is going on with this person? Until you understand that they walked into a spider web. And then you say, oh, that explains it all. That explains the strange behavior. Now that I know that they walked into a spider web. Valuing the gospel is just like that. Others should see us and say, what a strange person. Why are they acting that way? Why are they sacrificing in that way? Why are they spending their time in that way? Until they understand the spider web. Now, if you don't like the spider web analogy, I almost went with the bee in a car. Right, you, ever, you ever been in a, in a car with a bunch of people and all of a sudden somebody sees a bee? So imagine you're driving down the road and the car behind you, there's a bee in the car. And you look over and everybody's doing all this, but you don't see the bee. And so you say, what in the world? I need to call the police. Until you know, oh, there's a bee in that car. That makes perfect sense. That's what Paul's getting at. Live your life in such a way that others 
until they know this gospel that you value, they would look and say, I have no idea why, why that family gives so much of themselves to that. I have no idea why that family does this or acts that way until they are shown the spider web or the bee or the gospel that says, wow, now that makes perfect, perfect sense. To live my life in such a way that values the gospel in that way that other people see me and without knowing about that gospel, my life would make little sense to them. So, let's take our spiritual shovels and let's dig just a little bit deeper. Because the question we really want to get at was, okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? It's okay to sort of say these grand themes about value the gospel in your life and live your life in such a way that that others see this in you. Without putting flesh and skin and bones on that, then then it's still just sort of nebulous. So let's dig a little bit deeper and let's think about what that might look like And for this, take a look at the back. There's a chart on the back that's really going to be a helpful guide for our time Wednesday night. But we're going to glance at this today. And we're going to use this to help us think through this. Now, if you were to get out your concordance and you were to say, I want to know what the Bible says about living my life in such a way that values the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you were to look that up in your concordance, you would find nothing except for this reference here because that's that's not the terminology that the Bible most often uses for this idea. Instead, most often, the Bible talks about what what we're about to talk about, not in terms of valuing the gospel in your life, but in terms of freedom in Christ. Now, those are words that we're familiar with, right? Because we know that our Bibles speak to us all over the place about freedom in Christ. We know that Jesus purchased our freedom. We know that we're free in the gospel. We know that the New Testament epistles will talk to us about freedom all over the place. And so if we just think in those terms and we think, okay, Paul's using some different terminology for the same idea that the Bible uses all over the place elsewhere, but phrases it differently, and we put the two of those together, then this will begin to gel for us. So first of all, let's think about freedom. We are free in Christ. Here's a bunch of references on your notes here that tells us that Christ has set us free. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for sin, etc., etc., etc. What do we mean by freedom? One of the sad realities of our modern culture, as as if we needed to think of another sad reality, but one of the sad realities of our modern culture is that we have, I think, completely lost the idea of freedom that we have completely misunderstood the meaning of freedom. We have, we have modified the idea of freedom today to mean something like this, freedom to do whatever I want. That is not the historical meaning of freedom. That's not the classical meaning of freedom. If you read the Puritan writers, that is not their understanding of freedom. That's not the biblical writers' understanding of freedom. If you were to look to our founding fathers at their writings, that was not their idea of freedom. That is a modern idea of freedom. The classic idea of freedom is not freedom to do whatever you want. The classic idea of freedom is freedom to do what you ought. Freedom from being restrained to do what you ought not to do and freedom to do what you ought to do. That is the classic historical understanding of freedom. 
So if we take that and we plug it into the biblical idea of freedom, I think we'll begin to get a little bit closer to what the Bible teaches us when it talks to us about the freedom that we have in Christ. Christ has set us free from slavery to sin. John 8, verse 44, Jesus says, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin has the most powerful, the most amazing, the most deceptive enslavement power to it. Enslavement ability. The Bible teaches us when you sin, you are a slave to sin. And the more we sin, the more we're enslaved to it to the point that we cannot stop sinning. And so we're enslaved to doing what we ought not to do, what in many cases we don't want to do, but because sin is a slave master, we are enslaved to that and we are not free to do what we ought to do. Jesus sets us free, but He doesn't set us free to do what we want. Jesus doesn't come and die for us, pay our sin penalty, live the righteous life on our behalf so that we're commended by faith unto God and then say, now go live like you want to live. He he sets us free in order to live like we ought to live, like we were created to live. We were created for fellowship with Jesus. And our life only makes sense in the context of fellowship with Jesus. The problem is we're enslaved to sin. And so we therefore cannot live like we were created to live. And so we live in this strange dichotomy, in this strange tension in which sin has so deceived us into thinking that we're doing what we really want to do. But our heart and our soul, deep down, somewhere inside you, your soul knows that you're not doing what you want to do. But your flesh is so convinced that you are doing what you want to do, that you're enslaved to continue doing it and further enslaving yourself further and further. The freedom that Christ brings for us is the freedom from being enslaved to do what is contrary to our nature, what is contrary to the image of God in us, and what is contrary to our true joy and happiness. Christ brings us freedom from being enslaved to that to then do what we ought to do, think like we ought to think, feel like we ought to feel, and act like we ought to act. So, On this chart here on the back, I just brainstormed some ways in which Christ sets us free from captivity to sin so that we can then live as we ought to live. Without Christ, we are captive to the world's desires, the world's cravings, and the world's admirations. We live in a world that tells you constantly and forcefully, crave this, desire this, admire this. It's all over your life. That's one of the most frustrating parts of, of my life is I'm, I'm just finding more and more that this world in which we live will not rest until it tells me every moment of the day what I should desire, what I should admire, and what I should crave. Even when I fill up for gas now. Have you noticed all the gas pumps are getting a little screen that tells you what you need to be craving right now? What you need to be admiring right now? And what you need to be desiring right now? You stand in line at the bank and there's a screen telling you what you need to crave right now. You can't get away from it. We as parents, we are sensitive to the media that our our kids receive. And when you hear sensitive to the media that we receive, what you want to think is shows and movies. But I tell you, that's only half of it. The other half is the advertising that pummels you to tell you over and over, this is what you should crave. This is what you cannot be happy without. 
Making a connection? You cannot be happy without this. You must admire this. You must desire this. This must be the desire of your heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free from that. Without a new heart, we can't be set free from the worldly cravings that don't bring joy. Instead, they bring more enslavement. But the gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free so that we can then desire, admire, and crave what we were meant to desire and admire and crave. Now, this is not saying that everything in the world is bad. In fact, most of the things that the world tells you to crave are good until they become your God. Until the world convinces you and your sinful heart convinces you that you cannot be happy without it. The gospel sets us free so that we can truly live desiring that which is really and truly deserving of our desire. Secondly, without a new heart from Christ, we are captive to storing up earthly treasures that are temporary and will fail us. That's what Jesus says. Don't don't store up these earthly treasures. Store up heavenly treasures. Now, oftentimes we think about that and we think, well, I don't have to worry about that because I don't, I'm not storing up very many. If you want to look at my 401k, you can tell, okay, that person's not storing up a whole lot of earthly treasures. But it's not, it's not about that at all. I don't care what your 401k looks like. I don't care what your bank account looks like. Without Christ, you are storing up earthly treasures. It might not be a retirement account. It might just be something that you like to collect. It might be some tool that you like to use in your shop. It might be firearms. It might be uh, decorations. It might be property. It might be friends. Some people put a lot of faith in the number of Facebook friends they have. It might be status. It might be accomplishments. It might be any number of things. But... I assure you, outside of living for Christ, you you have a heart that tells you all the time to store, 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 store. I need this. I want that. I need more. How many times has something told you you'll be happy with just one of these? And then six or seven later, no, you'll be happy with just one more of these. We have hearts that are captive to storing earthly things until Christ sets us free so that our heart can then delight in storing up eternal things. Thirdly, without living for Christ, we are captive to the constant need to improve our situation. Now, this is not to say that believers in Jesus Christ shouldn't try to better themselves. Obviously, we should. But outside of Jesus Christ, outside of living for Christ, we are captive to the idea that we must improve ourselves, And all that is grounded and rooted in, in the sinful idea that it's up to us to ultimately commend ourselves to the higher power or to God. Whatever that higher power might be in your thinking, you can be born and grow up in a Muslim country or a Buddhist country or whatever worldview you want. But all people are born with an understanding that there is a higher power. And all people are captive to the idea that they must improve themselves in order to commend themselves to that higher power. Jesus sets us free from that. 
Jesus also sets us free from captivity to a physical life that will fail us. Sin tells us you only get one life. Live it now. And for a lot of people, that, that, that works itself out as trying to extend that life as long as possible. For others, others may not, they, they're still captive to a physical life, but their focus might not be to try to extend that life as long as possible, but to cram as much excitement into it as they possibly can. And they become adrenaline junkies. You ever know people like that, that are adrenaline junkies? That whatever the next adrenaline factor is, jumping out of airplanes, climbing rocks, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, that is captivity to a life that will end. You're captive to the idea that this is the only life. I've got to live it. I've got to live it as long as I can live it, and I've got to live it as hard as I can live it. I've got to make the most of it. Jesus sets us free from that because the Gospel tells us this, is, this life is a blip. Eternity is the life that really matters. We're set free from that. And then lastly, I think this, I put this one last because I think this is the most important and probably the most prominent. We are set free from the captivity to look out for number one, to put ourselves first, to promote ourselves before others. This is a huge theme in Paul's letter. And you saw just earlier as I began reading into chapter two, as Paul's going to begin developing that theme, Think more, think more highly of others than you do yourself. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, without living for Christ, we cannot value others more than we value ourselves. We are slaves to putting ourselves first. Even when you want to do things that look like you're putting others first, you're still putting yourself first. Because without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're enslaved to the need to look out for number one. But the gospel comes along and tells us that the creator of the universe, not only is he looking out for you, but he's settled everything. The righteous life of Jesus Christ has been lived and it's done. And his righteousness is credited to you and it's done. You are safe in the arms of God and you need not look out for number one. You are now free to look out for others. To put others first. You remember earlier how Paul was joking, sort of tongue-in-cheek about, you know, I think I'll just stay because if I stay and continue living this hard, difficult life, it's better for you. Paul could joke like that because he truly is free to live for others. He truly does know. If he has to endure one, two, three, four more beatings, it doesn't matter. Because he's safe in the arms of God and this life is so short, his next one is secure and that's the one that really matters. Those are just some of the ways, and there's many others. Those are just some of the ways that valuing the gospel or living is Christ, living for Jesus, freedom in Christ, a number of ways we could put it. Those are just some of the ways that that sets us free from the, sla- from the slavery of the sin that we don't even know that we're slaves to. But now here's the final point. We'll end with this one. The question is, do you want to be free? Because if you are really brutally honest with yourself, your flesh does not want to be free. I can say this about you, not because I know you that well, 
but because I know myself that well. And I know that you're just like me. In my flesh, I don't want to be free from the captivity to sin. My flesh wants to stay enslaved to it. Which is why it is utterly impossible for me to save myself. Because my flesh doesn't even want to be saved. I have to have a new heart from Jesus. He has to do this work. Because not only could I never do it, I would never want to do it. I am so, in my flesh, I am so deceived by sin that my flesh thinks that that which enslaves me and brings me no true joy really is what brings me happiness. And it is only when Jesus opens our eyes can we even see the lie that had us enslaved. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.